The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the award-winning Action Network podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And with me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network, and they are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the world. And joining us is Dave Richard, a senior fantasy writer at CBS Sports and a longtime titan in the industry. Dave, thanks for joining us. How's it going? I don't have a cool title like you guys have. Like, your business cards must be amazing. We don't have business cards. Hey, Chad Millman, get us some business cards. Really respect what you do, Sean, what you do, Chris, what you do, Matt. Uh, you guys are all awesome. And when, when I'm scrolling through Twitter and I catch your tweets, they almost always make me think. And that's maybe one of the highest compliments that I could give to the three of you, is that you guys give very thoughtful, interesting fantasy tidbits that should make everybody think, make everybody kind of second guess, wow, maybe I'm thinking the wrong way about this guy, or wow, that's a really good point I haven't thought about. So you guys are absolutely great at what you do. I'm, I'm happy to be here so I can learn something. Dave, I like what you said. You're going to be a repeat guest on this podcast. Just letting you know, up, up front, you are, <laughs> you are coming back. Yeah, absolutely. You were on the show last year, too, uh, talking about the guys in your top 50. So it's uh, great to have you back again this year revisiting that topic. We have recently had some banger episodes. Uh, we had Evan Silva, Ian Harditz, Denny Carter, Matt Harmon, Mike Taglier, Graham Barfield, and Jake Seeley on the show. All of those episodes were great. Everyone check them out today with Dave. We were talking about those high equity picks, the guys in the top 50, who we are taking, who we are fading. And, and by the way, I should say that you can access our rankings. You can look at the guys in our top 50 and get our up-to-the-minute projections in our fantasy football cheat sheet at the Action Network. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review, and we would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Dave, I want to ask you kind of big picture question up at the top about your ranking process when you're looking, you know, at the top 50, but then also just all of the guys on your board, whether you do top 200, top 300, talk to us a little about your ranking process. I review a player from the season before what his situation is going to be going into the following season. And of course that's fluid because the off season's fluid. Things happen fast in the NFL. And I come up with an idea of what I think the, the expected stat line is for that player for the upcoming season. And then I just group those players together. I factor in smaller details like who are they going to play next year? What's their schedule going to look like? Who was added to the team or maybe taken away from the team that could open up opportunities or take away opportunities for that player? You put them in groups. So the best group is going to be four or five names at the top, however many it is, and then you just go with groups all the way down. The players are then, they all have the same expectation. You're nitpicking to put them in the order within those expectations. You put that order together and it comes out to a rankings list that you just mesh with other positions to build a top 200 list. 
So specifically when it comes to your top 50, do you find yourself basing that off of, say, your median projection, like you said, your expected outcome? Or do you factor in more, you know, their expected ceiling or their floor? So are you, are you a little more safer when it comes to top 50? Or are you willing to take more gambles? I, I'm going to take more gambles in general. And I think that's just the way that people should play fantasy football is if, if you're going to play it safe, you might make the playoffs and then you might get eliminated in the first round or even worse, you might not make the playoffs. I'll think about ceilings and floor, but those might be those nitpicky things that I'm talking about. But really, once I get my mindset on a projection for a player, that's it. And unless something happens to that player, I'm going to stick with that number. For example, um, I would say probably some point in March or April, I came to the conclusion that Miles Sanders has the potential for a 1,500 total yard, 10 touchdown season. And he was going to be worth a first round pick. And in our, we do mock drafts all the time during the off season. And I started taking him in the first round. And back in April, people were like, what are you doing? That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And now everybody's taking Miles Sanders and maybe not necessarily the first round. I've seen him go in the first round a lot. And I don't know how you guys feel about him, but some people view him as how I view him. One of these elite tier types of fantasy stat producers who's just got this great situation and a great offense with a pretty good schedule who should be able to come through provided that he stays healthy. And I think his ceiling is obviously higher than that. He could end up being the third or fourth best running back in fantasy if things break right for him. And his floor is obviously worse than that. I think knowing Doug Peterson's track record and maybe Boston Scott ends up getting a little bit more work than we're giving him credit for. Maybe he's only 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns. Who knows? But I, I I've got, I put that number on him and he's in that same group as other running backs like Edwards, Elaire and Mixon. I think Kenyon Drake had a number pretty close to that for me earlier in this off season. And so once I choose that projection for that player, that's what I stick with. I don't think necessarily about, well, he might get 1700 yards or he might get 1300 yards. It just, to me, weighing those factors doesn't make sense when I just want to put one number on a guy and say, this is the number the type of fantasy production, the type of stats that this player should be expected to have when you draft him. Things go haywire all the time. It's fantasy football. It's the NFL. And running backs especially get hurt a lot. But, but when it comes to, to, to just, all right, I'm drafting this guy. Here's what I think I'm getting out of him. That's it. And that's how I go about sorting the players and, and, uh, and going about my rankings. Hey, Dave, you mentioned Miles Sanders. Is he the one player that you've gotten the most of so far in fantasy drafts, or is it someone else? It's definitely someone else, and it's, it's more like three or four someone else's. Uh, Ronald Jones is one guy that I'm taking a lot of in round five. I am encouraged by how his offseason has gone. I spoke with his trainer, uh, and, I, and I've learned what went wrong with Ronald Jones before last season. And now what he's working on to be even better this season. And the fact that Brady's there, I just think it's just a little extra help for him to be good. I'm drafting a lot of Tyler Higby. I loved his film from those last five games. I think the Rams would be stupid to look at what he did and what, what he did for Jared Goff in those last five games and say, ah, we don't need him anymore. Let's get him out. We got Gerald Everett after all. Forget it. I think Higby is actually a, a good tight end who could break out in a big way this year. It reminds me of what I saw in George Kittle after his rookie year. And I, and I said, George Kittle's a great guy. It, and it doesn't, it doesn't quite remind me the same as Darren Waller. Like Waller was somebody that I was talking up this time last year. Different type of feel for Higby, but I do think he's got that type of like physical rumbler, tight end potential. And there are a lot of metrics that went in his favor. I'm drafting a lot of Darius Slayton 
because there's a trend that I caught with Jason Garrett and the offenses that he used to call plays for in Dallas before he got taken away from him. I think that Slayton fits that bill quite a bit. And then I, I was all over Antonio Gibson until until Darius Geis got cut. And now everybody's on Antonio Gibson. So, like, I, I feel like I'm not getting him anymore because people – I think we're at a point now with Gibson where people are reaching for him. But I, I see potential in him too. I think that he's got a chance to have a good year this year where next year he breaks out and he's like a, a major player in Washington's offense. Dave, you just mentioned there some guys that you have the most of. I'm curious, is there one guy in particular or maybe a couple guys that you are just really looking to stay away from in your fantasy drafts? I, I think that Juju is getting overdrafted a little bit. I'm, I'm just not sure that he's going to keep getting 150 target volume season after season. And I'm throwing out last year. Last year does not count when it comes to Juju Smith-Schuster. It really shouldn't count to anybody in the Pittsburgh offense. Uh, although you can say things about James Conner, like, well, another year where he got hurt a little bit. And, you know, Deontay Johnson was good. He wasn't great. And obviously you can't say anything about Ben because he played six quarters and that was it. But I think that Pittsburgh added a lot of talent to their pass game. And I think that that's really going to hurt Juju, especially in the red zone. And I'm not certain that he's going to continue to see 10 targets per game like we saw from him back in the day when Antonio Brown made it easy for everybody else in that offense to, to do well. I think there's going to be more wealth spread in that offense. So I'm not drafting a lot of Juju. Uh, I'm not drafting a lot of Odell Beckham because I think the Browns offense is going to be conservative. I don't think they want to put too much pressure on Baker Mayfield. They built the offensive line to help the run game and to protect Baker. They brought in Austin Hooper to be a red zone factor. You watch Austin Hooper is going to get a lot of touchdowns this year. I don't know if he's going to have as many targets as he had in Atlanta, but Baker's had a tendency to throw to his tight ends over his career, both in the NFL, 35% of his touchdowns have gone to tight ends. And you go back to college, Mark Andrews was his guy at Oklahoma. So I think Hooper's there to kind of fill that role. And I'm a little nervous about Odell Beckham seeing his target share slide down again. Last year, a career low, 8.3 targets per game. I wonder if that goes south a little bit more. And the injury factor, it's something that you got to bring up with Odell because he's been banged up each of the last three seasons. It's why for the last three seasons, he hasn't even been able to give fantasy managers 1,100 yards in a single year. Uh, David Johnson, David Montgomery, uh, they worry me quite a bit. Uh, those are running backs that I'm only taking if, it's, if, if they just slide in drafts. Um, I know that Johnson looks good in training camp. Everybody looks good in training camp. The Texans misused Duke Johnson when they traded for him last year. They gave Carlos Hyde the ball more. I have no confidence that Houston's going to start throwing to their running backs more than they have in the past, and it hasn't been a lot. So David Johnson's best asset is his hands. I don't see him being able to be effective with it. And David Montgomery, good physical running back, but I think he needs the offensive line to be great. I don't think the Bears' offensive line is very good. And I wonder if, if – the, the seat gets a little too hot for Matt Nagy, and he can't commit to David Montgomery uh, anymore if Montgomery gets off to a slow start. And maybe that means more Tariq Cohen. And they basically split the snaps last year 50-50. But Cohen's more of a playmaker, if you ask me. Just his speed, his ability to make plays in open space. I don't think Montgomery can do as good of a job as, of that as Tariq Cohen. And I think anybody with two working eyeballs would agree with me on it. So I wonder if Cohen starts getting a little bit more work this year if Montgomery continues to average three, three and a half yards per carry and becomes a touchdown or bust type of running back. All right, let's dig into 
these top 50 guys a little bit more. And uh, let's, let's start not exactly at the top, because I'm assuming that's Christian McCaffrey. I don't know if there's really much to say about Christian McCaffrey, except he's awesome. Draft him if you are blessed with the first pick overall. But after Christian McCaffrey, I want to get your thoughts on who you have ranked number two. I'm assuming it is either Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe it's someone else, but who do you have number two? So I have had Ezekiel Elliott at number two all offseason long. I love the idea of him never seeing a stacked box because of what the Cowboys did, adding C.D. Lamb to their passing game. And Dak Prescott, a little dangerous as a rusher too, and that always helps out any running back when their quarterback can run. And, and I think he's a candidate for 50 catches again. I think the touchdowns can be huge for him again. He's been the most consistent player outside of quarterbacks in fantasy football really over his career. He's got a 91% success rate in non-PPR leagues, meaning he'll get you at least 10 non-PPR points 90% of the time. It's competitive in PPR with Saquon Barkley. It blows Saquon Barkley away in non-PPR. And, and the other tiebreaker, and remember, I talked about those little things that I look for at the position. The other tiebreaker that I have still between Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley is the schedule. I think the schedule is a little bit better for Dallas than it is for New York. I would rather have a running back that runs against the Giants defense twice a year than the Cowboys defense twice a year. But, but Gerald McCoy just got hurt. I'd like to know how the Cowboys plan on replacing him. I will reconsider the stance, and there may be a chance that if, if Dallas continues to take hits uh, on defense and maybe their run defense isn't as good, late Vanderesh gets hurt again, for example, that would be terrible, then the schedule would probably favor Saquon, and at that point they're so close that in PPR I would take Saquon ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. But for now, as we're sitting here on the podcast, I'm taking Ezekiel Elliott ahead of him. Sean, I know we've talked previously about, you know, Saquon versus Zeke in that number two spot. Where are you right now uh, heading into like the stretch run of the, the preseason leading into the season? Yeah, I'm, I'm Zeke all the way at number two. I just think he's the most uh, likely back of that group to score 10 plus touchdowns. Um, we all know touchdowns can be pretty fickle, but he's, he's going to see a ton of opportunities with this Dallas offense uh, inside the five yard line. Um, whereas Saquon, he basically has to create, you know, touchdowns on his own, scoring from longer ranges. And he's actually been one of the worst um, goal line backs. He's only scored seven touchdowns in his uh, 26 rush attempts inside the five. I expect him to regress closer to league average, of course, but maybe his, his running style of, you know, trying to break a big play isn't as effective near the goal line. So I, I think touchdowns is a critical piece. Um, as Dave mentioned, I think, you know, they're going to run more 11 personnel with cd lamb there and uh zeke he averaged 5.1 yards per carry out of 11 last year and 3.2 in all other formations so i think that'll help him and i think you know obviously yards per carry is you know kind of a bs stat to go off of but i think it does kind of allude to what dave was saying where less stack boxes mean he's going to be more efficient out of those so you know zeke's been my uh, most likely back to take at number two and i understand that tony pollard might, um, you know, eat into his receiving work. And that's great because I have way more Tony Pollard. It's just easier to kind of end up with more shares of somebody going in rounds 11 and 12 than needing to end up with the, either the second or third pick to get Zeke. So I, I don't have as many shares as Zeke as I would like. But, um, yeah, absolutely take him number two overall. Rayvon, Saquon versus Zeke, where are you on this? Uh, yeah, I'm going with Zeke. And I think it kind of relates to something that Dave mentioned earlier, which is, 
the incredible consistency that Zeke has had, you know, getting to those double-digit points in 90% of his games. You look at Saquon last year, and Saquon in two games against Washington and Miami last year, he averaged 211 yards with two total touchdowns uh, in his other 11 games. And granted, he did get hurt in one of them, but uh, in his other 11 games, uh, under 100 total yards per game and just uh, .36 total touchdowns. So um, he was a little bit more inconsistent. You, you're going to get a game out of Saquon every once in a while, like uh, in week three against Tampa, eight carries, 10 yards. Uh, in week 10 against the Jets, 13 carries, one yard. You simply don't get that from Ezekiel Elliott. And, you know, Jason Garrett coming over from Dallas to New York. Remember, Jason Garrett was, you know, in Dallas when Zeke, for the majority of his career there, got a bit underutilized in the passing game as well, only averaged more than three and a half receptions once. So we could see Saquon's uh, receiving game role uh, continue to kind of not replicate what he did his rookie year. And, and I think that's kind of probable regardless of Garrett, just because if you look at the Giants pass catchers, you know, Dave mentioned Darius Slayton and you have uh, Evan Ingram, one of the better pass catch, catching tight ends in the league. You have uh, Tate and Shepard, two guys who are going to, kind of command a high target volume because they're running high percentage routes and are pretty good at getting open, you know, underneath on those routes. So I don't think they necessarily need to use Saquon uh, a ton in the pass game. And, you know, if they are going to leave somebody in a block, it's not going to be Evan Ingram, right? Like keep that in mind too. Like it, like you just don't leave Evan Ingram into block any more than you have to. Um, and he, and he's, a, you know, a, a weapon, you know, in the pass game. So I, I just think that, the, the little things, as Dave kind of mentioned, those little nitpicky things just slightly favor Zeke here. Let me, let me just mention one other very horrible thing. Joe Judge comes from New England. And from what I've seen from every Belichick disciple, when they have a chance to lead their own team, they mimic Belichick's tendencies quite a bit. And one of those things is certainly with running backs. I would hate to see Joe Judge go to Jason Garrett and say, look, Saquon's great, but we need to spread those carries a little bit just to keep Saquon fresh. They've got Deion Lewis. That's somebody that Joe Judge knows. What if Deion Lewis had some of those obvious passing downs and took Saquon off the field there? It would be hideous. You would be really upset with that type of thing going down if you spent the number two overall pick on Saquon. And I, obviously, I like Saquon. I just paid you know a ton for him in, in that salary cap draft I'm talking about. But I, I do think that there is a little bit to worry about with Saquon versus Zeke who yeah he's going to share with Tony Pollard but there's going to be enough to go around everywhere in that offense and Zeke I think is going to be the one who benefits the most from that passing game being as deep as it is that is um unholy voodoo that you are putting towards Saquon right there let's I mean let's fantasy gods please don't bring that about it's what I do yeah uh, okay, so, you know, Christian McCaffrey, obviously in the one-on-one, uh, except, you know, for the true contrarians out there. Some of them have even put uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire as high as the one-on-one in an expert, you know, pros versus Joes competition. I saw someone take, uh, you know, Edwards-Alaire number one overall. Obviously, that is too far. But how high are you on Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Because, you know, in this aftermath of Damian Williams sitting out the 2020 season, uh, I mean, it, he's locked in as a first-rounder. The real question is just how high do you put him? 
Well, you've got to consider the player and you've got to consider the play caller. And I think that combination is what puts Edwards Elaire in the first round. And, and here's my pitch for why a rookie who had absolutely no offseason work with the team is still worthy of being taken in the first round. Edwards Elaire is a good physical running back with very good hands. He reminds me a lot, and the, and the Chiefs couldn't say this on draft day. They used Brian Westbrook's name instead, but he reminds me of Kareem Hunt. I think those two guys have a lot in common, and I think Edwards Hilaire, maybe in some respects, is better than Kareem Hunt, but a versatile three-down type of physical player who doesn't have that top-end speed. You didn't see that from Edwards Hilaire quite enough in college to believe that he was just an absolute burner. But he can make defenders miss, and he can be physical, and yes, he can catch 50-plus passes in this Kansas City offense. And it's an offense a lot like Dallas's where – Defenses would be pretty dumb to stack the box to stop the run when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback and you've got Tyreek Hill over here and McCole Hardman over here and, and Travis Kelsey's over there. Yeah, I, I, it's a kamikaze game plan. Good for you if you're going to do it to try and slow down Edwards Hilaire. But defenses aren't going to do that very often because defensive coordinators don't like losing their jobs. So Edwards Hilaire is going to see a lot of light boxes. That's going to work in his favor. He's going to catch a lot of passes. Andy Reid's running backs have averaged, I think the number is 116 targets per season since Andy Reid got to Kansas City. So that sounds good to me. You can sign me up for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire getting a lot of that. He does have work to do in terms of pass protection. And yes, if Damian Williams were ready to play this year, then that would certainly take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire off the field. But now that he's decided to, very nobly, I might add, take care of his mother, he's got a sick mother, Damian Williams is not going to play football. We're going to see Edwards-Hilaire get pressed into action more than probably the Chiefs might admit to, you know, being okay with. It's probably not going to work out exactly how Eric Bieniemy planned, how Andy Reid planned. Uh, DeAndre Washington and Daryl Williams are going to be the two guys that are going to be behind him. I don't think they're taking half the snaps. I think you're going to see Edwards-Hilaire play and play a lot. The coaches are obviously excited about him. They took a first-round pick. They took him with a first-round pick, and I think fantasy managers can feel good about taking a running back that's got that, again, here are those numbers, 1,500 total yards, 10-plus total touchdowns, I think slightly more appealing than Miles Sanders because we know Miles Sanders has to contend with Boston Scott, whereas we don't know for sure just how much Washington and Williams and let's mention Darwin Thompson too, how much those guys are going to play. My hunch is that they won't play much as long as Edward Delaire does what is expected of him. Here's the best part of all. You just heard my spiel and you know that Andy Reid's running backs, and this is part of the spiel, so I'm not quite done yet. Andy Reid's running backs get a ton of fantasy production and he usually likes to settle on one guy. All that in mind, everything that I've said, if you're still not convinced you can go in a safer direction because we're talking about somewhere. Honestly, when you're drafting Edwards Hilaire in round one, it's not going to be at first overall. It's probably not even going to be at fifth overall. It's going to be somewhere between six and 12. And there are a bunch of safe wide receivers. And there are some other running backs that have a little bit more pedigree to them that you can feel more comfortable beginning your team with than Edwards Hilaire. And I don't think it's a colossal mistake. If you say, you know what, I'm not into Edwards Hilaire. I'm going to go with Joe Mixon or I'm going to go with Michael Thomas or even Devontae Adams. I think it's okay. So if you're not sold on Edwards Hilaire, don't feel pressured to take him at as high as six overall, but you are giving up a running back that does have unreal potential this year. Sean, I think Dave right there mentioned some of these numbers around 1500 yards, around 10 touchdowns, you know, maybe 50 receptions. Those are all kind of the, the ballpark. What are your thoughts on those numbers with Edwards Hilaire? 
Yeah, I have him closer to um, 1,350 uh, total yards. And yeah, 11 touchdowns. I think that's where his value lies is just being in the Chiefs offense. You're, you're going to have massive touchdown upside. Um, so I have him ranked eighth overall. I, I still would take the, the top six running backs and Michael Thomas over him. But I think the differentiator, um, why I would take him over a Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon is because he, he's going to hog all the passing down work. You know, Chubb and Mixon, um, they're kind of prone to, to losing some of that work, um, which makes them a little bit more game script dependent, whereas Hilaire is going to have massive upside every time he steps on the field. And being in this offense, you know, he only really needs 15 to 20 touches at most a game to have, you know, top, top three upside in this offense. So I think that plays a huge part too, is even if DeAndre Washington – or Darwin Thompson chip in a bit, which I don't even think they will. I think he still has the potential to be a top five back. So I think, you know, at this point in the draft, um, go for the upside and take him over these uh, proven bets. Raybon, thoughts on Edwards Lair and where you think he should be ranked? For me, it's really between Edwards Lair or Austin Eckler um, at that 7-8 hole. Eckler is kind of in that conversation for all those same reasons that Edwards Lair is in terms of why we're just so excited um, you know, Eckler is a guy who's been extremely efficient his entire career. Um, he's in an offense that can really kind of like Christian McCaffrey's can just all about him in a sense, because you're going to have either Tyrod, a low volume passer, or you're going to have Herbert, a young quarterback. So um, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those guys, but that's really the, the only guy that I kind of consider over Edwards aware that maybe is not, you know, in line with the consensus. Uh, I would go both of those guys uh, over, a wide receiver um, and then when I go wide receiver it's usually you know nine or ten and it's usually going to be uh, Tyreek Hill for me because I am going for upside at that spot and I think Tyreek uh, has the most of it so um, that's where I'm kind of at but I, I have Edwards Hilaire yeah right around um, about 1200 something yards and, and double digit touchdowns as well um, my projections tend to be a little more conservative especially with running backs um, miss games keep in mind Edwards Hilaire is my favorite back coming out of the draft um, Andy Reid with Damian Williams, big postseason, big stretch run in, in 2018, a lot of carries. Uh, coming into 2019, you could tell he kind of held back on Williams a little bit to keep him fresh for that stretch run. Another big stretch run, a lot of carries. So with um, Edwards aware, that is something to keep in mind. Like we may see a bigger second half than we see first half. And so I will say this, even if you don't draft Edwards aware, um, keep him in mind when it comes to trade targets early in the year. Um, and if you do draft Edwards aware and he starts slow, do not trade him. Raybon, you mentioned there uh, Tyreek Hill as someone that you would kind of consider uh, within that same range as uh, Eckler and Edwards Alaire. And uh, so I'm assuming he's your number two receiver. Dave, I'd like to get thoughts on your number two receiver, who you're looking at after Michael Thomas. It's Devontae Adams, and it's based on volume and Green Bay's passing game. Aaron Rodgers, I, say what you will about Alan Lazard and, and their tight ends and everybody else. I don't think that he, Aaron Rodgers has anybody that he trusts as much as Adams. And the proof of that is last year, he almost had 1,000 yards last year in 12 games. And Rodgers loved having him on the field. You could tell that he just wasn't quite the same quarterback. He had one amazing game without Devontae Adams. But I, I, I think that he needs Adams to play big. I think his red zone dominance is, is crucial. And I think his target share is going to be the stuff that other receivers dream of. So Adams to me is just, it feels safe. And he's been a safe wide receiver in fantasy when he's been healthy for, for quite a while now. So I'm, I'm on board with him being the second best receiver to take on draft day. Sean, what about you? Who's your number two receiver? 
I'm going with Tyree Kill and anything standard or half PPR and especially best ball. Uh, but I'm with Dave in, in a full PPR format. I'd probably lean Devontae Adams. I think he definitely has the highest four of all these uh, wideouts. But still, uh, in the first round, if I'm taking wide receiver, I'll probably want to lean towards upside a little bit more, and that's why I'm going Tyree Kill. Can I make a case for Julio? Not that you actually need to, need to reach for him, because there's, if you like him, there's a pretty good chance that you can get him in the second round on the way back. But just in terms of his actual production that we might expect throughout the season, by the end of the year, I think there's a pretty good chance that Julio's one of the top two guys. Uh, if you just look at the production that he's had on a consistent basis over the past half decade, the offense that he's in, I'm expecting it to be pretty fast-paced, pretty pass-heavy. I kind of don't know why we wouldn't think that Julio comes pretty close to running it back. Again, not to say that he should be the second guy drafted, but he feels like someone who has a really good chance by the end of the season of being one of the, the top two producers at the position. Raybon, I, I feel like you're shaking your head over there. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think we're just bored with Julio. Maybe because Julio has had 1,394 yards or more in the last six seasons, and Devontae Adams has had one 1,000-yard season over that span. <laughs> we're just kind of still waiting for Adams to do it. and He, he feels newer and, like, sexier. But, like, to me, and, and I've said this before, like, Tyreek Hill, I get, and, and Sean is kind of with me, so maybe it's not that out of line with consensus, but I get how, um, you know, that can be considered a little bit of a reach. Uh, I get that Tyreek's lower target volume, um, but the way I project, and, and I'm guessing Sean does too, is like kind of top down where we're projecting the quarterback stats and kind of assigning a certain percentage of targets to the receivers, and that's why Tyreek Hill comes up so high in my model. But, um, you know, for Julio, it's like if we're comparing safety and, and kind of, you know, high floors and high target floors and PPR floors. Like, how does it get safer than Julio? I mean, I get that he's a couple years older than Devontae, but he's averaging like three more yards per catch than Devontae. Like, they can get the same number of, same number of targets, and Devontae just has to work so much harder for his yardage. And, and not due to any fault of his own, because he has turned into a ridiculous route runner, a guy who gets open. I don't even know how he gets open, considering he's triple team on every play. But – uh, his quarterback is just not as good. His offense is just not as good. So to me, it's like, I don't know. I feel like we are kind of sweeping on Julio in that Devontae Julio comparison. Like, I feel like if you're going for a safe receiver, I, I, I do actually go Julio um, over Devontae. So I'll tell you what some people might be nervous about from last year is that Julio was not a very consistent fantasy wide receiver now of course you mentioned the totals at the end of the year yeah he, he matches up with his previous seasons but he got off to a good start and then he kind of fell off a little bit and then he really didn't step up again until after calvin ridley got hurt so think about this the falcons trade muhammad sanu austin hooper goes down with an injury russell gage is uh, russell gage and then it took calvin ridley to come off the field for julio to say wait a minute i'm here i can get targets i can be amazing and he finished the year strong only six games with more than 15 PPR points. And normally we love 15 PPR points. That's the type of number that you want to have in your fantasy lineup each week. But he didn't do it that often. And he finished well outside of the top 10 in terms of consistency rate at wide receiver versus Devontae Adams, who was second in the NFL in consistency in the games he actually played, gave you those big fantasy points all the time. And I think that that might resonate with some fantasy managers along with the fact that there's been so much buzz about Calvin Ridley 
and now he's expected to take a huge step. And, and maybe this is the year where Calvin Ridley is Chris Godwin and Julio Jones is Mike Evans. And there's nothing wrong with Mike Evans, but it just means that the other receiver in Atlanta is going to be better. And people might say, well, I'm just going to wait around and I'll get Calvin Ridley and he might be better than Julio Jones for the record. Full disclosure, I've got Julio ranked well ahead of Calvin Ridley this year, but I do like both of them to be very good. I just think Devontae Adams is a better bet in a week-in, week-out basis for fantasy managers, and that's why I would take him ahead of Julio at this point. I, I do think consistency is important when you're kind of nitpicking between these really good players in the first round, but like the cutoffs are kind of like difficult for me to get behind because, like, yeah, we could talk about Julio and like, the lack of 15 point games, but he actually had under 10 PPR points just once last year, just once the year before. Um, you know, so it's like, it's like, we're just talking about like a couple of points, which from a, like from a mathematical standpoint is not really going to be as predictive, like whether a guy scores like 13.6 or, or 15.2 or 11.1. Like the bottom line is like, he's, he's coming out with 1400 yards a year, year and year out. And like Devonte Adams, like we could, if you do the same math, but like use a different cutoff. And again, I think these cutoffs are arbitrary, but Devontae Adams failed to get to 10 uh, PPR points three times. And he only was healthy for 12 games. Right. So it's like, I think based on the cutoffs and based on the different consistency metrics, you can kind of tell these different stories. So like, like with these guys, I think you do have to kind of look at the, 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 the overall medium projection a little more. And I think it's different from a case like Saquon versus Zeke when, when like Saquon, because of his running style, you know, we've seen him just run like, and because of the offensive line of the offensive line, it's like we've seen him and understand why he would have like a 13 carry one yard game. Whereas like whether Devonte or Julio has like 8.6 or 10.3 or 12.3 at the end of the year, it's like, they're going to be, that's going to add up to, to a similar amount. Like I, I think. But you don't want to have a, a player, especially if you're talking about a first round pick or a second round pick that does that too often. And I, I almost wonder if you were look, you were going to say, well, Julio's got a chance to have more smash games. The games where he's got 25 PPR points, 35 PPR points, you start him every week anyway, but it's because of Julio Jones that you win a certain week because he just goes off like he did in two of his last three games last year. And I would argue that that is a reason for Julio and Devontae, and it's probably the number one reason why they're ranked where they're ranked is because they, they've got that potential to go off, and it, it almost doesn't matter who they play. And everybody knows it. And that's why they're being drafted so high. And I don't think anybody's going to look at Devontae Adams and say, well, he might be a little more consistent, but he's not going to have as many crazy good games as Julio. So I'm going to take Julio. And I don't think they'll say the opposite for, for Devontae. I think it really just depends on how you like your receivers to play. The track record of Devontae Adams is just a little bit more consistent than Julio Jones. Both are great. I'm not going to fault you for taking Julio ahead of Devontae. I wouldn't fault you for taking Julio ahead of Michael Thomas. But I, I do think that there is room for Devontae to catch more touchdown passes than Julio. And that's just been one of the weird things about Julio's career. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He can't get in the <laughs> And I think maybe part of that is just because teams say, okay, Matt Ryan, you're going to have to beat us with somebody else because we're going to double and triple team and, you know, shadow coverage over on Julio. And we're just not going to let him catch anything inside the 10. Um, but I, I think that's the one other factor on top of it is that we've seen Devontae get double digit touchdowns on the regular, not so much with Julio Jones. Sean, so you have Michael Thomas, obviously number one at the receiving position, Tyreek number two. So I'm assuming it comes down at number three between Devontae and Julio. Where are you there? 
Yeah, I mean, they're basically tied. I would lean towards Devontae. Um, I mean, Dave mentioned it earlier, but I have a ton of Calvin Ridley, so I'm kind of uh, hoping there's that kind of shift uh, that Dave was mentioning. So, uh, I mean, honestly, that's where I'm leaning there. But you guys all make great points. I think Julio does tend to have more points come in just a few games as opposed to Devontae Adams. I think it does have to do with his lack of touchdowns. He's not able to kind of chip in just, a, you know, a game where he's not seeing massive volume, just get a touchdown and give you a reasonable score. So that's why he's a little more volatile. But I think, you know, when it comes to a full PPR, I do like to attack this tier uh, a bit heavier because, um, one, you know, the position dries up pretty quick. Um, I, I don't like having a dig in outside the top 40 wide receivers to finalize my starting roster. But also on a PPR, it extends the, the running back that class that we can draft from. So guys like James White and Tariq Cohen are now viable in PPR. So I think in PPR formats, I do aggressively attack guys like Devontae Adams and even Julio Jones in certain situations. So um, I think, you know, we're splitting hairs here, but if I if gun to my head, I would go with Adams, but either one is fine in my opinion. All right. So we talked about some of these wide receivers, Dave, I want to get your thoughts on the tight ends that we see going in the top 50. And so it's not always this clean, but in general, there's a good chance you see Travis Kelsey at the end of round one. You often see George Kittle in round two, Mark Andrews often in round three, and then Zach Ertz in round four. Those are the big four guys where if you're investing in the position uh, and you're paying up, it's one of those guys. And then if you don't get one of them, maybe you decide to wait a while at the tight end position. But out of those big four guys, which one do you like the most right now at his ADP? Probably Ertz. Um, and I'm not sure what ADP uh, – what, what's the ADP say for Ertz? What, I don't know what site you're looking at for it. It's in late in the fourth round. Okay. So I'm probably going to say Ertz. And I think one of the big differences between this year and last year when it comes to tight end is that th there's, a, there's a general sense that the position is a stronger one than it was in 2019. And for me, that means that I don't want to rush to overpay for a player at tight end when I know that I can wait three more rounds or even four more rounds if I'm lucky to get Zach Ertz. Or in the, in the case of Higby, I can wait till maybe round seven, round eight, maybe round nine to get him. There's more flexibility there where I feel like I've got a weekly tight end that's going to deliver some good points. Maybe not as good as Kelsey or Kittle, but we're, we're then talking about, well, is Kelsey going to be two or three points per game better than a Zach Ertz or a Tyler Higby? in a given week or is it going to be more like seven or eight points better? And I think it's going to be closer to two or three. I think it's kind of negligible. So I don't want to overpay for the position. I want to feel like I'm getting a steal at tight end, which is why I, I can't advocate for Kelsey in round one. Uh, I don't mind getting Kelsey in mid to late round two and Kittle in late round two to early round three. I think that that's the type of steal zone that you're looking for. And Andrews and Ertz, they, they vary for me based on format. I think Ertz still catches more passes than Andrews can, which is why I will take him. Uh, I haven't ranked ahead of Andrews in full PPR, but I know I can wait and until when I see Mark Andrews go off the board, the, the radar goes up, and I know that within about five to ten picks, Ertz is going to go. And if I'm there, I'm going to take him. Because I, if I, assuming I didn't get a tight end earlier, because I think that he is going to be worth that value. I think that feels like a steal. And if I don't get any of those top four, it's cool because there's another four or five tight ends that I'm okay using as my week one starter for sure. Well, it's better than that. It's not just as a week one starter. Let's call it weeks one through seven starter. 
a guy that I can just stick with, roll with each week until they get hurt or until they absolutely suck, that they're going to be my tight end. So they're better than streamers, maybe not quite as good uh, or certainly not as pedigreed as Kelsey Kittle, Ertz slash Andrews. John, where are you on these tight ends? Which guy do you like the most right now? I would say based on these rounds, um, probably Kittle in round two, um, especially if he follows you um, when you're like picks one through six, let's say. So you already have a stud running back. Kittle comes to you, you, you know, take an elite tight end. And then you could probably either get another decent running back or start drafting wide receiver in round three. So I think it just makes the most sense. Whereas, you know, Kelsey, you have to, you have to sacrifice quite a bit. And I honestly, I don't think there's that big of a drop-off between the two. Um, so, yeah, so if, if I was going to take an elite tight end, it'd probably be Kittle in round two. But again, this, the more redraft leagues I'm doing, uh, the more I'm willing just to kind of wait to see if I get Dallas Goddard. And if I don't, I just stream the position. I think, um, you know, most leagues, you don't see people drafting more than one tight end. So you're going to have guys like Mike Jacecki, Austin Hooper, TJ Hawkinson on the waiver wire every week. It's going to be easier than ever to stream. And I just think this year specifically, it's going to be way easier to kind of have that flexibility at tight end. Um, you know, your, your bench is going to be more important than ever this year. So I think just having that added flexibility makes sense, especially given how deep tight end is this year. Rayvon, how are you approaching tight end here? So this is a, a position where I am kind of, I differ from expert consensus a lot. Um, I actually think that tight end isn't deep at all. And, and I don't mean that in the sense that there aren't like good talented players that you can get outside the top four. I mean that the top four is so good that there could be a huge gap between Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, and Ertz, and everybody else. And even in that next tier with Ingram, Tyra Higby, uh, Waller, those guys, right? Like, it's even hard to differentiate between those three to some extent. And then it gets even harder to differentiate between, you know, Hayden Hurst and, and Gronk and Jared Cook and Dallas Goddard and Noah Fant and John Smith. Like, all these guys are like, they can all be good, but – the guys after like the, the top seven, I don't think have a chance to catch five balls a game. Maybe Hayden Hurst does um, in that Hooper role. But um, so I think that it actually is very important to get a top four tight end. And if not to get one out of that second tier, but um, for me, the, 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 the answer to like, who do I like best at ADP is Mark Andrews because um, there's just so much room for growth. And even if he just replicates what he did last year, he's a top four tight end, but th there's so much room for growth in that he was targeted at once uh, per every three routes last year. That's unheard of. Um, he only uh, ran a route on about 50, you know, under 60% of the team's dropbacks per game. Uh, you know, now they have no Hurst. They, they're probably going to run a little bit more traditional of an offense. Uh, Lamar Jackson has said he wants to throw more. This was a guy that, you know, with Greg Roman turned from a guy who could barely throw football into the league MVP passing the football, leading the league in touchdowns. Mark Andrews is his number one receiver did it on low volume last year, led, led all tight ends in touchdowns. And they're just such ridiculous upside for a guy who's getting targeted on 33.2% of his routes um, and, and has only run a route on barely half of the team's dropbacks that I think, like, if it's my, the, the, it, you got to look at it like Kelsey and Kittle are going at cost. Is Ertz going to go – is Ertz going to replicate Kelsey Kittle numbers? Probably not. I think people are too low on him because um, he's also kind of like Julio, just unsexy and not exciting at this point. But he's going to do his thing. But, like, Mark Andrews, to me, is that guy that you can get in round three that could put up those late round one, early round two Kelsey Kittle numbers. Raymond, I just got to say, the disrespect 
to uh, to Lamar Jackson to say that he was a guy who could barely throw the football and uh, yeah, that his offensive above, coordinator man. was the one who transformed him. Uh, oh, no, nah, no. Nah. Like, Lamar is, is, is my guy. He did his thing. But I'm saying, like, Greg Roman is still there is what I'm trying to say. And Greg Roman, you know, look at Colin Kaepernick. Look at Tyrod Taylor. The work Greg Roman has been able to do with these guys, turning them from guys that we thought of as project into legit quarterbacks. You know, that you're, you're ha- like COVID or not, you still have another offseason of Lamar and Roman. I'm saying it could be even better. That's okay. what I'm saying. Great <laughs> cornerback play right there. You, you backpedaled. You had <laughs> great, yeah, you know, great uh, hip swiveling yeah, there. Yeah. Look looked good. All right. Well, uh, Dave, Raywan there mentioned uh, Lamar Jackson. And, you know, people are obviously looking at him and thinking, do I invest in him this year with the second round pick? The same with Patrick Mahomes. How are you approaching those two players? One, I guess, do you think they should be going in the second round? And then two, are you, are you actually willing to take them in the second round? Because there's kind of a difference there. So I feel so dumb every time I answer this question because Mahomes and Jackson are those types of players that can win you your league. They can will you to victory some weeks because we're talking about Julio Jones only got you 15 PPR points six times. Well, these guys can get you double that maybe every week. They're unbelievable, and they can just do incredible things with the football. Um, Mahomes with his arm, Jackson with his arm and his legs. And it, it just feels dumb to say, well, these guys that can get you 30 points per week shouldn't be taken in round two. So why is that? It's because of supply and demand. If you're in a league that starts only one quarterback, you know that the position is even deeper than tight end, even deeper than wide receiver, literally 18 quarterbacks that I'd be okay starting week one. Now, they're not all going to put up 30 points per week like, like uh, Mahomes and Jackson have the potential to do, but I can draft them a lot later. In the spaces where I would have to draft Mahomes and Jackson, which is uh, some leagues they're going in round one. One quarterback leagues round one way too soon. But round two is their ADP. Think about what I'm passing up there. I'm passing up some really good number two running backs or really potentially number one running backs, certainly number one wide receivers, and certainly one of the top two tight ends. And in a, in a fantasy league where – you got to start two running backs. You got to start two wide receivers, maybe three. Maybe you've got a flex or two to start. I need those players on my roster first. And I know that these quarterbacks can put up huge numbers, but once I put them on my team in round two, I feel like I have a harder time finding players in rounds five through 10 that I really consider as potential starters for my team. Whereas the quarterbacks that go in that range are no-brainer starters for my team. I'm going to say the same thing that I said about tight ends for quarterbacks. You want to feel like you're stealing one on draft day. Like you're ripping off the other people in your league uh, right under their noses. They go and get Patrick Mahomes in round one or two. They get Jackson in round one or two. And you just wait and wait and wait. And then I promise you it's going to be a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady or a Matt Ryan that comes at a value and you're going to be like a cartoon wolf or something where you like you rub your eyes and your eyes get huge and you go, I can't believe it's there. And it's not a cartoon. It's real life. It's your fantasy team. I don't know if that means real life or not, but you've got them on your squad and it's a tremendous value and you'll be happy to have, I got the starter covered at quarterback and I spent that second round pick at a different position. That'll help me feel good about my lineup. All right. Well, if you're looking to wait at the quarterback position, uh, I'm imagining you're not going to be investing all that much in some of these other quarterbacks who are going, you know, in the bottom half of the top 50. You've got Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. I think those four guys kind of form their own tier yep. between the top two 
of Lamar and Mahomes and then all of the other quarterbacks who follow. Uh, out of those four quarterbacks, is there one in particular who stands out to you that where if you if you were to invest in a quarterback in that draft range, it would be this guy? So it's round six, and all four guys are on the board, and the running backs that left are horrible, and the wide receivers that are left could just as easily fall to me in round seven, a situation like that. Uh, I'm looking at Dak Prescott, and I say the weapons around him are too good. The offensive line is too good. The, the running back can catch passes. There's two of them now that can catch passes. It's too good. I know he's not as talented of a quarterback or as skilled as, of a quarterback as the other ones that you mentioned, but I, I do think that he's got the potential to maybe even do better than he did last year, which sounds crazy, but I, I, am, I am a big fan of what Dallas has done this offseason. And before the draft, didn't feel quite this way about Dak Prescott. They had CeeDee Lamb, and, uh, and everything else is in place. And I'm really glad that they kept Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator because he's the one that really brought Dak out. Yeah, I, I think that Dak Prescott's the one that I would pick first from that group of four. Sean, where are you on these four quarterbacks? Which guy do you like the most? Yeah, it's, it's Dak for me, but they're, they're all really close. So, again, this is, uh, like Dave said, they make it to you in round six. Um, so, typically, it's just whoever kind of falls, and Dak rarely falls around six. Um, oftentimes it's Russell Wilson or even Deshaun Watson that is typically the last um, QB available in this tier, and that's when I like to attack. But if all four on the board, I typically let the league start the run on quarterback and hopefully one of them make it back to me. But if they don't, I'm fine. Uh, that means I'm probably um, punting the position altogether and streaming it, uh, depending on league type. So th this is the last tier for me, so it's pretty critical. But I would definitely rank Dak uh, top of this tier. Rayvon, who do you have at the top of this tier? I tend to lean Watson. Every year of his career, top four production. Uh, you look at the, the loss of DeAndre Hopkins, and I think for, to a casual observer, it's like, oh, man, that's not good. That can't be good. DeAndre Hopkins averaged 11 point something yards per catch last year. Like, he wasn't, you know, necessarily boosting Watson's stat line. And you look at the receivers they have in Houston this year. Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills. Uh, Randall Cobb is going to be, uh, you know, probably the first true slot receiver he's had, but fo focus on those other three. Those are all downfield guys. Watson's numbers could actually be better this year. Um, not necessarily because the offense is better for not for losing Hopkins, but just because he's throw he's just swinging it downfield more. Uh, so that combined with the fact that you look at like compared Dak to uh, Dak, uh, Watson and rushing and, Rushing yards is pr pretty much the most sticky year-to-year -year stat in terms of correlation for a quarterback. Um, Deshaun Watson had, uh, you know, 413 rushing yards last year to Dak's 277. So, you know, every year – Dak is really good at turning those um, carries into, goal, into touchdowns around the goal line especially. But uh, Watson is probably going to rush for more yards. So, um, I, I lean Watson. I am very high on Dak. I don't think you can go wrong with any of those guys. And like Murray is the Murray is the guy that I think is the, the the most dangerous. Like I think he's actually even though we we are most excited about him, I think Russell Wilson's just so good. And just any you know potential increase in volume that could happen just puts Russell Wilson right in that conversation for you know top for the third spot. So um, I, I started out a little more down on Russ, um, but I've kind of come around. 30 touchdowns, you know, for the last five years. He's just too good. Uh, and he, and he's so, and he's, and he's, he's what we want Kyra to be. Uh, so yeah, that's how I kind of have him. All right, Dave, uh, there are a number 
of really good receivers available in rounds three, rounds four. Uh, and to me, that feels like a, a really good sweet spot to be hitting that position. Uh, but of course, there are also some really intriguing running backs uh, available in that range as well. Earlier, you mentioned uh, Ronald Jones uh, as a guy that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, who that we have not talked about right now in the top 50 do you want to spend some time talking about? Someone that you're, you're really excited about? At wide receiver specifically, or can it be a, any position? Any position. In the top 50, who I'm excited about that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about yet. I need to hear, and, and maybe this is just more therapy for myself than anything else, and I'm hoping I get it. I, I, I need some other opinions on Cooper Cup. Because Cooper Cup last year was really good. He had over 90 catches, big yardage, big touchdowns. He's proven to be a go-to guy for Jared Goff in the red zone. And I still have him ranked pretty high. And I know that there are a lot of smart people out there that say, well, Cooper Cup didn't finish the year strong. There's questions about that. There's questions about this entire Rams offense, what impact Higby could have on him. Um, The fact that Robert Woods isn't going to have so few touchdowns again uh, the year after that. Uh, Cooper Cup is, I think he's undoubtedly a top 50 pick, but is he a top 30 pick? And I, for now, think he is. I get him in round four sometimes, and I go, what are these nudniks who I'm drafting with thinking, letting a guy like this fall? But Cooper Cup is someone that I think deserves some attention, maybe put under the microscope a little bit, and hoping that Sean or Chris just has a completely different take on him that I just need that counter argument to. Dave, I'm with you. Uh, Cooper Cup is one of those guys I love getting in round three or round four. And uh, I think he has a very high floor. And although uh, the Rams in the second half of the season went to two tight end sets uh, a little bit more, uh, still they played uh, with three wide receivers at one of the highest rates in the league last year. So I'm still you know, pretty bullish on the idea that we could see Cooper Cup getting a lot of a lot of snaps in the slot, uh, which is really where he feasts. But, uh, Sean, give us your thoughts on Cup. Yeah, he's a, a bit of an enigma because, like you mentioned, whenever they they switched to two tight end sets in the second half, and whenever they ran those, they took him off the field. He wasn't even on the field. So uh, I think they'll, they'll work in the offseason to get him on the field in those sets. So I do think – you know, he's potentially a top 30 wide receiver, but he's part of this massive tier um, where I kind of just take guys that fall to me. But, you know, he's in the Calvin Ridley range. So, unfortunately, I do kind of lean towards Ridley. Um, so, I don't have as much cup. But, again, it's one of those things where people take cup. I don't fault them at all. I think, like you mentioned, he has the touch on upside. Without Brandon Cooks there, I mean, the, the target share is going to be even more funneled to him and Robert Woods. So I think he's, he's a pretty safe pick. I, I wouldn't really look too much into his usage last year. I think they will figure out a way um, to make that work and have him on, on the field over 95% of the snaps because that was kind of a weird um, thing last year. He was able to kind of um, support his fancy stats by you know scoring touchdowns still, but um, I, I think they'll make it work. And he, he's borderline wide receiver one for me. Rayvon, are you uh, a little more pessimistic on Cooper Cup? Oh, I was the, like the first one. I was saying in like February, Cooper Cup was like a top 12 receiver. You were more down on Cup than I, and you, were, you came around and said, hey, like, I, I love Cup now. I mean, I think it's people are overthinking it. Cooper Cup yeah. was 11th in PPR, half PPR last year uh, in 2018. Tears his ACL. Comes back, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's like, he's top 10 again. Like, like so it's like, what, what, what are we 
really looking for with Cup. He had a down second half of the year. He scored five touchdowns, one in each game to close out the year. He had a touchdown, and it, you know, like I know touchdowns are not as easy to repeat, but he's been a consistent touch, touchdown scorer. Um, still has the same quarterback uh, since he entered the league. They're best friends. Uh, he's the best receiver on the Rams, uh, easily to me. Like Robert Woods is good, but Robert Woods took five years to get good. Cooper Cup was good upon entering the league. Uh, so I, I am not worried at all about a receiver that's going to, you know, that's posted, you know, two top, depending on your scoring system, we'll say top 15 per game finishes over the last two years. Uh, am I worried at all about him? No. Uh, would I take him off the field with my playoff hopes slipping away? Um, with Tyler, with Tyler Higby going absolute bananas down the stretch? Absolutely. But you know what happens with Cup? It's like you have the, it's like every tier you have these unsexy guys. And in that first tier, I think it's like Julio at this point. He's just like, we're so bored of him. At tight end, it's like Zach Hurt. We're just like bored. Cooper, I think we're already bored with Cooper Cup. Like, or, you know, he's just not as sexy as like, uh, you know, an up-and-coming DJ Moore or like the allure of like Odell Beckham returning to the past glory. So it's like, we just kind of look at Cooper Cup and we're like, nah, okay. I'll, you know what I mean? But like, in reality, and like, I'm really excited about Calvin Ridley, but like Cooper Cup is this everything that Calvin Ridley could give us. Um, there's really no difference, you know, it, 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 it's in terms of what the two could um, produce touchdown wise, volume and volume wise cut might even have a little more upside only because mm-hmm. he plays in a slot and that position in a Sean McVay offense, that's the position that's getting schemed open, you know, so, more so than even Woods. It, it's cup getting schemed open. So I'm not going to get what I wanted. I'm not going to get the counter argument to Cup, which means I can't, I can't hammer the counter argument with one of my favorite stats on Cooper Cup. His last 24 games, he's caught 16 touchdowns. The Rams lost Todd Gurley. Well, they didn't lose Todd Gurley. They told Todd Gurley, lose our number. And he has 14 touchdowns walk out the door from last year. I don't know if Daryl Henderson and, and Cam Akers are going to make up all those touchdowns or even have the opportunity to make up those touchdowns. I think Cooper Cup can sink his teeth into more touchdowns this year. Absolutely, I'm a big fan of his. You know, it's so silly, right? Like, like when, we, when, when the like, consensus or the industry likes a guy – you know, they'll say one thing, but it's like, since when has scoring touchdowns been a bad thing? It's like, like the biggest knock I hear well, on Cup is like, well, it's, t- it's like, I, we all get that touchdowns are volatile, but like, yeah. you rather have the guy that consistently scores them than the guy that doesn't, like right. the guy that you're waiting for to regress, you know what I mean? Or in the case of somebody like DJ Moore, a guy who can catch a lot of passes and get a lot of yards, but has never, and he's only been in the league two years, but he's never had that huge breakout year where he catches eight, nine, 10 touchdowns. So I don't know if I want to get that guy when I get another guy that's going to catch just as many passes, maybe even have more yards when it's all said and done and definitely more touchdowns. Dave, you mentioned earlier some guys that you are looking to stay away from. You mentioned Juju specifically uh, and Odell Beckham Jr., two guys in the top 50, uh, David, David Johnson, David Montgomery. Is there anyone else in the top 50 that you kind of look at and you're like, you know what? I really think I'm just going to like my team better, like my fantasy season better if I don't have to worry about rostering this guy. Uh, is Leonard Fournette in your top 50? He's in. Yeah, he's certainly in the top 50 in terms of ADP, yes. I mean, yeah. the, so, the third round is, is right where he's going. So I'd, I wouldn't want to take him in round three. I'd prefer him in round five. I'd prefer Gurley closer to round four and round five. And the problem with this is now I've given you four running backs. I'm running out of running backs. And this is going to be the part in the draft between rounds four and six where people are going to collect number two running backs or maybe number three running backs. And these are guys that I, I get, I get the, the willies 
when it comes to them. I Leonard Fournette was great last year. The team changes the offense with a lame duck offensive coordinator because that whole coaching staff's getting wiped out. The offensive coordinator, who's a lame duck, brought in his favorite pass catching running back with him. They've got a young running back behind Leonard Fournette. The team tried to trade Leonard Fournette, and it looks like he's back in good graces. And they're going to say, "Look, let's just make it work this year. You do your thing, and and we'll figure it out from there." I want Leonard Fournette to get traded. I don't want him in Jacksonville. Jacksonville's going to be a team that's going to play from behind a lot this year anyway. And if he's not going to be the guy, Fournette's not going to be the guy in passing situations, then those 73 catches are probably going to look more like 37 this year. I don't want a chance that. I want Leonard Fournette to go to a team. I, I, I think I almost want him to go to Houston. And, like, Duke Johnson gets hurt, and they just decide, you know, Bill O'Brien makes crazy trades. He makes another crazy trade. And so Fournette can be the hammer that they're looking for on rushing downs, and David Johnson can handle certain passing down situations. I'd love to see him go to a team that's got a stronger offensive line that actually values Fournette's physicality uh, and certainly can provide more opportunities to score from short yardage than Jacksonville did last year. Jacksonville barely gave him opportunities. It's why he only had three touchdowns. And it's not because they were consistently driving inside the, the five week after week after week. It's because they were scoring farther away if they were scoring at all. So Leonard Fournette, I just think, is, is, is a solid running back in the wrong place who's not going to replicate a lot of the numbers that he had last year. Will he score more than three touchdowns? Probably. Will it be eight or nine? Probably not. And what happens if he does one or two things wrong? If he, you know, fumbles the ball or something. The coaching staff has already made it clear that they don't love him. They might bench him and say, all right, Rock Armstead, get in there. Let's see what you can do. Show your thing. And then Leonard Fournette's a donut in your, on your roster every week. So round three is way too rich for me on Fournette. Yeah, just a number of running backs here that uh, I would prefer to stay away from. All right, Dave, what do you guys have going on at CBS Sports? Well, fantasy football is, is a thing, as you guys know, and uh, we're, we are covering it every way possible. We've got a live show every day, except Saturdays, noon Eastern on CBS Sports HQ. That's our live 24-7 streaming channel. If you can get Wi-Fi on a device, you can watch CBS Sports HQ for free. It's got highlights. It's got news. It's got smart analysis. Uh, it's got everything that you need to be a well-informed sports fan cbssportshq.com you can catch us on noon during the week earlier than that on sundays once football actually kicks off we've got a podcast just like your podcast fantasy football today podcast and we've really been excited about this guys we've started a newsletter <laughs> sign up for our newsletter and but it's free and all you have to do is go to i think it's cbssports.com newsletter or just google cbs sports fantasy newsletter and it'll come up you type in your email and that's it and every day you get fed fantasy football analysis direct to you. And it's, it's as simple as it can be. You can, it's the laziest way to get good fantasy football advice because you don't have to go and seek it out. We bring it to you. You just have to come one time to the website and put in the email address and the Fantasy Football Today newsletter is in your inbox. All right, great stuff. You can follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Richard. In our next NFL episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the potential fantasy bust of 2020. Keep an eye out for that. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.